And good afternoon, Paul River. You're listening to CGMP News. And with me in the studio today is Roger, Roger Thorne. Hello. Hi there. And uh, also on the soundboard right now is Carrie Swiggum. And Hello. And today we have a, a full show uh, and a theme show. It's all about fentanyl and its impact on Paul River. And uh, we're just going to slip into a quick piece of music here so we can really get ourselves organized and we'll be off and running. Roger. Are we on uh, the RCA, Jack? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, me. It's is, all me. Is Here your we sound go. Muted? Technical issues are oh. I'm just going to I'm just going to stop stand by and we're going to start this again. <laughs> just Technical issues are temporary. Please okay, and here we go. Off we go again. Just want to talk to you I won't do you no harm Just want to know about your different lives On this here people farm Here's some you got your families Living in cages, tall and cold Some just sit there and they dust away Till they're past the age of old is true please let me talk to you just want to know about the rooms behind your mind won't you tell me sir if I can there my go blind maybe it's just the vibrations that have echoed long ago This is why I'm so concerned Cause I come back to find All the stars have been displaced There's a smell of a world that's been burned There's a smell of a world that's been burned
And that was Sylvia Ray Tracy with Up From The Skies. And as we mentioned off the top of the show, uh, today's show is a theme show about fentanyl. Uh, most people have heard of fentanyl in Canada. I mean, it's kind of hard not to when you turn on that the media seems to be full of stories. And over the last three years, it's been a major cause of overdose deaths across the country. The past year, it hit hard right here in Paul River. And we talked to a, a range of people this past weekend, including uh, Rob Southcott, who is the chief of the BC Ambulance Service here in Paul River, and Maggie Hathaway, who's a city councillor, and her protective services is her por- portfolio. Uh, last year, there were five overdose-related deaths in Powell River, an increase over the year before, according to the BC Coroner's Service. Uh, the province has declared a public health emergency in April of 2016. But what's being b- done now? Here is Maggie Hathaway. And we'll give Maggie just a second. Uh, my name is Carrie. Peter is here, and so is Roger. I don't know if we said that. I'm doing my best not to chime in, um, except when I realize that I need to upload the audio <laughs> that I was going to play. Um, but here's Maggie Hathaway. people are really concerned and as a, a city councillor and as Nicholas Simon's assistant I feel we should be doing everything that we can and I know that Vancouver Coastal Health have been meeting with their staff and talking about uh, naloxone and kits and how to use them and when to use them and they've been getting training but it's much broader than that like should we be including and it's I'm, I'm planning a meeting to bring together the professionals in the field just to gather their opinions and come, what can we do to help? So uh, RCMP, uh, Ambulance Service, Fire Department, and Vancouver Coastal Health. It's Slyammon. Some people from Slyammon are interested too. So it's just uh, strictly an informational meeting. Should we be training um, parents who think their children or know their children are using drugs in the use of naloxone, should they be getting kits? Mm-hmm. Uh, all those kinds of things, so basically public information. So the meeting, I think it's on uh, January 16th at City Hall at noon. But um, it's just an organizational meeting. And then should we be having a public meeting to let people know about the dangers and what the signs are they should be looking for? My thinking is yes, we should be. But I want to hear from the people that are the professionals in the field and what is it that the city can do to help uh, keep our citizens safe because at this point in time they clearly aren't. Uh, Maggie went on to talk about the cost of having someone who's in a persistent vegetative state from drug abuse becoming someone who needs to be cared for for the rest of their life. I, I just think I think the difference is is that uh, I'm feeling really bad because I'm just not sure where I sit on this issue. Are we not doing anything because it's drugs and will they have a choice and so why would we bother? And I heard uh, uh, it was actually a U.S. presidential candidate in one of his speeches saying, uh, and it wasn't one of the, it wasn't Clinton or, or Trump, it was somebody else, but they asked him about the drug situation and um, he was kind of from the Bible Belt so it was an unusual it wasn't the response they expected and they said my mother smoked for years and years and years and um, halfway through her smoking career she knew that it was likely to cause cancer lung cancer and when she got lung cancer everyone rallied around her mm-hmm. to help her through that illness that she created on her own Why wouldn't we do that even though it's a quicker process? Why would we not do that for somebody um, with a drug issue? Uh, That was uh, Councillor Maggie Hathaway speaking about her experience as well as frustration for not being able to do more. And according to the BC Coroner's Service, from January 1st to November 30th of 2016, there were 755 overdose deaths due to illicit drug use across BC. Fentanyl was detected in 60% of them. 193 of the deaths occurred in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region, including 164 in Vancouver, 10 in Richmond, 5 right here in Paul River, and 9 in North Vancouver. According to Dr. 
Marikett. There have been 12 deaths in Paul River this last year in his area, which includes the Sunshine Coast and North Vancouver. He's going to explain more about this epidemic. Well, I can give you uh, basically the, uh, the data that comes from the year uh, 2016. Uh, so we are looking at about uh, s- close to 780 uh, deaths in the province. About uh, 200 of those are from Vancouver Coastal Health. Uh, about 12 of those are uh, in the Powell River area that include Sunshine Coast and the North Shore. And of that, I would say about half uh, would be in the Sunshine Coast, the lower and upper Sunshine Coast. So about, uh, I would say about six of those uh, uh, deaths that are related to fentanyl. Okay. Um, I know this has been in the news quite a bit in the last year, but I think there's still a bit of um, uh, maybe questions about what is fentanyl, how is it used, and how do you ingest it? Sure. Um, Could you briefly describe those? Well, I think the public's aware of the fact that this is a synthetic opioid. It's about a a hundred times more powerful than, for example, heroin that uh, is used on the streets. And uh, as a result, even a like a grain of salt uh, uh, basically can uh, uh, can kill you. Okay, and how do you how do people ingest this? Is it a pill or? Uh, well, what uh, uh, the uh, the users are doing is they are injecting it uh, into their bloodstream, and essentially speaking, they are used to getting heroin, and uh, dealers are cutting the heroin with this cheap. Uh, synthetic opioid that in some cases is coming from China. Uh, They're not aware that it's being cut with this powerful uh, opioid and uh, as a result uh, they are going into respiratory distress and that's why we've been basically getting the word out. Uh, In uh, Powell River alone we've distributed about uh, 40 uh, take-home naloxone kits Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically the antidote. So um, we are advising users that uh, if they are going to uh, use, that they use uh, uh, with uh, a partner, so that they're so they don't use alone, uh, and that um, there is naloxone around in case they do overdose. Okay. Um, from your perspective, as been a medical officer or at least a physician for quite a while, um, I assume, has its how does this compare to other, I guess, epidemics that you've witnessed in your professional career? Oh, this is unprecedented. We have never seen uh, this uh, degree of overdose, uh, preventable overdoses that are occurring um, uh, on the Sunshine Coast. And as a result, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're getting the message out. We're, we're, we're getting these uh, kits out. For example, in Powell River, the emergency room nurses are trained. Uh, we are, we've uh, trained uh, the medical clinics. The fire departments carry naloxone. The community resource center carries naloxone. We've got our needle exchange program, youth clinic, safe clinic, uh, and PHNs are all able to basically use prevention as part of their interaction with the users. And what about access to this drug? How do people? How are people getting their hands on it? Well, I, I would say unscrupulous dealers are basically providing it to the users without warning them that this might be contaminated with fentanyl, or in some cases, even uh, thinking that the fentanyl will um, uh, up the high that they get uh, uh, from using it, uh, and as a result, uh, people don't know basically how strong it is uh, when they're injecting it. Mm-hmm. And you said it was a synthetic opioid. Is this something people are making at home as well? (laughs) Well, I think you could get it online from China, and I think uh, the Canadian government's trying, and the RCMP is trying to stop that by talking to the the, the, the consular people uh, in China uh, because uh, they're denying it. But uh, we know that uh, up until a couple months ago, you you could uh, order it online. Hmm. Wow. Um, okay. Well, I appreciate that perspective. Um, anything else you think I should be telling the, our audience about this? Oh, I would say that uh, basically the uh, majority of the users are male. Um, the majority of the overdoses, uh, contrary to public opinion, uh, are occurring indoors. Uh, so it's just to get the message out uh, using community radio that um, this is preventable. Um, that uh, you have to suspect uh, uh, your source, uh, and if you are going to inject, don't inject alone. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. Okay, you got it. Okay, and that was Dr. Paul Marquette.
who is the medical health officer for the Paul River area. And before we go to a song, uh, well, this is welcome back to CJMP News at 90.1 FM on your dial. And live streaming at cjmp.ca. And before we go on to a song and then the interview with Rob Southcott, I just kind of wanted to talk about that piece a bit. Like, I had no idea that fentanyl came in so many different forms. Uh, yeah. No, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I may interject as well. Um, I didn't either. I, I actually had no idea how it was transferred at all until I started talking to people this week. Um. Yeah, it, it gets down to things like, I mean, one gram of pure fentanyl uh, can make up to a million tablets, but a million tablets is a bit of a misnomer because oh. two grains of salt no, no, no. can actually cause overdose deaths. I think it's a, a kilogram. A kilogram. A kilogram. Fentanyl. What yeah. did I say? A, a gram. A gram. A gram. <laughs> yeah. A kilogram. So it is cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is I, very cheap. And yeah. I, the people I spoke yeah. to sound like that was one of the reasons why it's so popular right now. It's yeah. cheap. Um, and extremely powerful. Of uh, only two grains of salt, it said. Like just. Or two, like a dosage the size of two grains of salt, I yeah. should say, is enough to, to cause people to die from an overdose. Yeah. And because it is so cheap, it's used as uh, padding in uh, all the various drugs out there, whether it's heroin and cocaine. And uh, much like the old days, uh, all illicit drugs were usually spiked with something mm-hmm. just to pad yeah. it out, make Rat more poison. money. It's it's easy to acquire. I mean, you can just go online. I just did. I just Googled uh, buy fentanyl online and got pages and pages of hits. Not right. that we're suggesting it. Yeah, it's, it's no, e- easy to get. Once you yes. know how, I mean, dangerous it is. Yeah. You know, why I would guess, you want to? Why would yeah. you? Shall we um, play a song before we talk to Rob? Ab- absolutely, we shall. Are you ready to go? And uh, that was Tim Harden with uh, You've Got a Reputation. You know, as promised earlier, we'll move on to our interview with Rob Southcott, and he's the chief of the BC Ambulance Service here in Paul River. And he's personally seen three or four overdoses in the last year. And he uh, spoke with Carrie earlier this week, and here's what he had to say. All right, so we are in the CJMP studio. I've got Rob Southcott here. He is the chief of the Powell River Ambulance Service. Is that correct? Well, it's actually the BC Ambulance Service's Powell River Station. Okay, <laughs> let's start over. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, let's not. Let's just keep going. Um, sure. <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about your background, why you got into that position, and um, we'll just start there? Wow. 
Well, it goes back 30 years. I'm just about to celebrate my 30th anniversary as a paramedic. And so really the short answer is uh, it's been a career that's given me a phenomenal opportunity to have the trust of, of people uh, to look after them. And I find that hugely personally rewarding. And why I'm the chief there is because <laughs> there was a point about eight or nine years ago where uh, the station, the, the position was open. Uh, I'd had experience, so I accepted it. So you've probably seen a lot of things in that time. And, but we're here now to talk about uh, <laughs> the recent spate of uh, overdose deaths in Powell River, mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. introduction of fentanyl to this community in the last year. Um, so I really appreciate that you came in to talk. This is a, it's a difficult subject, I think, to talk about for some people. Um, and it's also a really important one. So yeah. appreciate your perspective. First of all, I just want to ask you, how are you doing? How are you keeping up with this workload right now? Well, we're not, we're lucky in Powell River, we're not taxed quite like uh, Metro Vancouver and some of the other cities are. But the effects uh, are definitely felt here. So we have, this town has seen the, uh, the narcotic deaths uh, that are, you know, being talked about and definitely way more than ever in the past. Mm -hmm. So it's hugely tragic and it, it, uh, it's devastating because often it's younger people. In um, April of 2016, the province declared overdoses a public health emergency. I mean, can you describe the difference of what it was like working as an ambulance uh, driver and paramedic this year compared to last year? Yeah, it really relates to the uh, introduction of fentanyl into which everybody knows about. But the one difference between fentanyl and other narcotics, like heroin, for example, heroin's really been the drug of choice for many, many years. Uh, I worked in the downtown east side during the uh, mid to late 90s when there was a big boom in heroin overdoses and also. Uh, a lot of deaths and we it was it's it seemed like a, a catastrophe back then well not maybe not a catastrophe but it was it seemed bad fentanyl is far far worse by you know a very big factor and there's one very simple reason and that is that fentanyl in its pure form is so much stronger I don't know whether it's 10 or 100 times stronger I'm not sure what the factor is exactly, somewhere in there. And so when you have amateurs diluting it, uh, that dilution process is not as reliable. And that's why some of the drugs that people are taking is unfortunately so strong that they overdose before they know they're overdosing. Usually heroin addicts used to inject slowly. You know, you'd get that needle in and then you'd go in slowly and experience the huge rush but apparently fentanyl now can be so much stronger without the users knowing that before they know it they're not titrating it in slowly enough they can't titrate it in slowly enough before they collapse and stop breathing mm. and that's why it's so devastating um can you have you been busier this late year compared to last year i mean is it an actual kind of increase in hours and that sort of thing well, like I say, not like Vancouver. Unfortunately, it, there's so much happening down there. Proportionally, we're just as much busier, but we didn't have a huge drug problem here before. Um, Tragedy-wise, proportionally, yeah, it's hit this town. Um, this is a different discussion, actually. It's staffing issues with the BC Ambulance Service in Vancouver uh, and the huge increase of demand that is taxing the uh, ambulance paramedics who are understaffed, the services understaffed there. Um, and then also it rolls back on all first responders, but particularly the fire departments who are getting an awful lot more business than they ever counted on. Mm -hmm. And that's who we're really hearing from. The um, emergency workers? Well, the fire fire departments do have 
really excellent uh, PR mach- PR machines. Um, you don't really hear very much from paramedics from the um, ambulance uh, ambulance union, um, but there is you know there's publicity out there. It's just that we're a much smaller organization, even though we're so phenomenally busy. Mm-hmm. Um, See, so there's been a push to get information out to residents about um, this drug crisis, and a recent pref- press conference was held in Paul River, I think it was in October or so, um, about um, introducing take-home naloxone kits from the hospital. I was out of town that week, so I wasn't able to go, and I'd, I've heard actually very little news about, about it, what happened there. Um, do you think that the information is getting out to people who would be in a position to actually need a kit or need to know what would d- to do in this sort of situation if someone's overdosing? Yes, I think it is. Uh, there's been a program here called the Harm Reduction Program. It used to be called the Needle Exchange uh, Program, but really what's being done through that program, and it's run through uh, Community Health of Vancouver Coastal Health. Uh, I started going to their committee meetings, which are quarterly, because... The paramedics here just weren't seeing very much of both mental health and um, drug addiction problems. And I really concluded pretty quickly that it's because that organization was looking after the situation here so well. So handing out uh, these take-home naloxone kits is just an extension of what they have been doing all along. And these kits have been going out actually for well over a year now, mm-hmm. before the real crisis hit just okay. in this past year. What's in a kit? Can you explain that? Well, basically, naloxone, which is a, it's called a, a narcotic antagonist. So what, you, what it does is once it gets into the filters, into the system after it's injected, it bounces the narcotic out of the neuroreceptors so the the respiratory center the plate the part of your body that makes you breathe because your oxygen levels are going down in your blood it bounces that the narcotic out and then people start breathing again that's what it's for so in the kit is a couple of syringes and a couple of vials of this of this drug and some other stuff to you know the swabs to make sure the site's clean wow have you come to? Uh, have you done a call where the naloxone has been used before? Before we got there, yes. Yeah. But I also mentioned that um, that's a drug that ambulance paramedics and I have used for, well, probably 25 or more years of the time that I've. It's a drug that we've used all along. Okay, and is it the primary? I know it's it's the it's a recommended. Um, thing to use but is do you think it is the primary thing to use is there another well th- this is um, you, what sure you bring up here is something that kind of dismays me a little bit and I've tried to figure out why the basic first aid approach to people not breathing is not being advertised um, so first aid has a very simple um, acronym ABCD so A is airway you make sure the airway is open B is breathing the next, that's the next thing you look after is breathing. C is circulation. You check, does that person have a pulse? So if they're not breathing and they don't have a pulse, you start CPR. But if they do have a pulse, really what they need first is they need air. They need oxygen. And that's the first thing paramedics and all first responders do is they start ventilating the patient. Now, the um, big push to use naloxone tends... N- the publicity around it doesn't say anything whatsoever about ventilating people who are not breathing. And that's really distressed me. I, to explain it to myself, I think it's possible that putting that expectation out there might make your average bystander think, oh, I need to do mouth-to-mouth respiration on this person who's collapsed, which introduces a huge dilemma for people because maybe they don't want, maybe you don't want to do that. Um, but that is, if if a person's not breathing, that's the first thing you want to have happen. And if this, if the person who's not breathing, who's just shot up with um, narcotics, is a family member, then you probably want to. Now, I'll also say that the instruction that is delivered to people who have take-home uh, naloxone kits absolutely includes this. But it isn't being made public. It, there's an awful lot of um, promotion of the drug without saying anything about this, the more primary need. Hmm. <clears throat> what do you think people need to know about this other than that point that there is maybe if, if you see somebody who is showing signs of overdose, 
I mean, with fentanyl, it sounds like there's a very short window of time that you might be able to see someone doing, uh, or, you know, what are the signs of overdose? Maybe that's a question to ask. They stop breathing, and then they turn a very nasty, pale, greenish color, um, and start sweating. Instantly, shock signs set in, um, because the body is not getting the oxygen it absolutely depends on. Hmm. And how long can someone stay in this um, state without before they die? Without breathing, um, brain death starts occurring between 5 and 10 minutes. So there's a very short window. Call 911. Right, okay. But get your loved one breathing first. Okay. Well, um, are you... I'm not sure how to explain this. I wanted... Is there a way that you can describe, like, the overall, like, maybe a scene of... Um, what this drug kind of looks like on a more of a residential level like when, when you come to a call where someone is involved with um, fentanyl or something like that like what did can you describe well usually there's someone there who's who's found the the patient um, in respiratory arrest um, you know I there's just one more thing uh, that I want to add and that is never shoot up alone never shoot up alone really um, it doesn't matter what your judgment is of narcotic use. Um, you know, it's something that's happening. And if we can suspend our judgments, especially if we're, if we're using, anybody who's using, please, just don't shoot up alone. Just don't. Because then there's nobody there to call for help. And the window is so narrow. That's just the, that's so important. Um, it's no different now than ever it has been. You know, an ambulance gets there, uh, and we we go into action immediately, and we go we get there as quickly as we can, uh, and we can reverse these things. But we get the we ventilate right now. You, you know, it's seconds before we've got oxygen c- concentrated, 100% oxygen going into people, and that tends to reverse the. uh, You get oxygen between the lungs going to the brain. So that basically is the first need that's looked after. Okay. And actually, I have one more question. Can you um, describe maybe harm reduction, just a brief history, as you were telling me before we turned Well, harm reduction, really simply, is treating it. Treating, I mean, you could consider the use of illegal drugs like narcotics or the illegal use of legal drugs. I mean, fentanyl is a prescription drug, too. It's not prescription. It's used in the... Um, in medicine, in emergent emerge words, um, it's not that it's ins- it as compared to a criminal approach. It's approach of looking after the person, and then first we look th- look after this. This is a medical problem. Maybe there's it's a psychiatric problem as well. Multiple layers. We're care to we we care about the human being. That's the number one priority, and that's harm reduction. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kerry. My pleasure. And that was uh, the chief of our local BC Ambulance Service in Pell River, uh, Rob Southcott, and uh, being interviewed by Kerry Swigum, our CGMP news director. Thanks for that story, Kerry. That was probably difficult to do in some ways. Well, I wanted to do this topic. It was something that someone was working on for a few months, um, and I'm picking it up. Um, I wanted to do this months ago, but anyways, it... Um, I heard recently that someone said that they didn't think there was a drug problem in this town, and I've, I've definitely heard different. So I just want to let public know that this is this is the facts, basically. Um, we're now going to, uh, in a few minutes, move into a, a bit more of a discussion about harm reduction, and we have a guest in the studio who will tell us about his experience. But first, we're going to hear from some people in charge of the harm reduction services at the Powell River Hospital. So um, harm reduction is really a continuum uh, of, uh, of services, uh, and what it, what, what it seeks to do is to treat people who, in, in this case, may have substance abuse uh, issues in a uh, respectful fashion and to provide uh, clean, in this case, if it's uh, harm reduction drug uh, equipment, to provide them with clean equipment and counseling and uh, referral to treatment services, uh, and the goal is to reduce the uh, effect of uh, the spread of communicable diseases like HIV and hepatitis uh, uh, C and sexual uh, transmitted diseases. 
Okay, well, thank you for explaining that. I'm actually glad you did because nobody else has explained it that way because I have talked to a number of people, so I appreciate that. Um, just in terms of the communicable diseases. Yeah. So, so I know that you are um, working out of the community health office. You're the manager there. Is that right? That's correct. And can you explain what kind of services that you have related to harm reduction in this town? Yes. We have, uh, so from the public health uh, portfolio, I'll explain mine, and then I will have my colleague, Nora Kors, manager mental health, uh, describe her. So ours are around providing uh, a fixed site needle exchange where we uh, distribute and collect uh, needles to uh, IV uh, drug users. And the goal is to uh, prevent them from sharing needles, which prevents communicable diseases, and also to encourage um, them to return their uh, needles so that they aren't left out in the community. So that's a, a risk to uh, the overall uh, community. So we do that. We also provide HIV, hepatitis, and, and STI treatment. And we hand out uh, take-home naloxone, that kit. We've been doing that since 2013. We do overdose prevention uh, coaching with the clients and their families if required. And the other thing we do is we do outreach education for uh, other community service providers. And we link closely with the uh, municipality, the uh, ambulance, the pharmacy, the firemen, uh, because the uh, harm reduction uh, concern around drug use affects many organizations in the community. And I understand that you've done um, uh, workshops at the high school with RCMP as well, the, your, your office, not necessarily yourself. Um, that was done, it's Nora Koros here, and that was done through our, um, our youth-based prevention worker, our addictions prevention worker, um, who works in the schools with youth, and she has done um, some, particularly fentanyl and other, she does, uh, annually, she, she gets to, into the high schools and into the elementary schools looking at um, different forms of drug misuse or substance use. And they certainly have in the um, fall did um, a number of presentations around the um, fentanyl. Okay. The high school. And were there more services, too, that you wanted to um, say that there were available in town? Or? Well, we just that we have expanded our the take-home naloxone program because of the fentanyl um, uh, overdose situation. We've expanded to uh, the emergency staff, for example, have all been trained. Texada Island Community Health Staff have been trained. The Community Resource Center, Methadone Clinic, the Clahomon First Nations Community has a nurse uh, and staff out there that are able to respond. Okay. Okay, great. Um, and I mean, I understand people are actually coming to get these kits as well, so it, it's working. Yes, and we've actually, since 2013, when we first rolled it out in Powell River, we've more than doubled the number of kits that we have uh, given out in the community. And so far, in, in 2016, just public health alone, public health nursing, uh, gave out 46 kits. Wow, okay. So I, I think... Um, there might be some misunderstanding um, of what harm reduction is in general, but by the broader community, um, I think it's catching on in places, especially where there's uh, drug issues, um, by, you know, for the reasons that you said. Um, I'm wondering, can you give any st statistics that show um, the effectiveness of harm reduction? Do you have those handy? Well, in, in terms of the effectiveness of harm reduction needle exchanges, we know that the spread of HIV and hepatitis has been reduced since the implementation of providing uh, clean needles. And in Powell River, just as an example, we do keep track of the number of needles that we uh, dispense. I wouldn't be able to disclose the specific rates of HIV or hepatitis for our local communities. No. a small community, but we certainly do have uh, these issues in our community. So we're giving out about um, um, 6,000 uh, needles on a monthly uh, basis, and over 90% of them are, are uh, uh, being returned. We do have a number of clients that we do uh, refer to Nora Chorus' services out of mental health and addictions. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Because that's about all I wanted to know. I think just that the other the other pillar, of course, is the um, the treatment, which is um, where people you know people would um, 
access through the addictions program at Mental Health and Addictions, mm -hmm. and we have counseling. We have um, we allow or we facilitate access to um, inpatient treatment programs that are out of town, as well as um, we run a smart group once a week for people who are struggling with a. Um, with addictions or substance use that don't necessarily want the 12-step um, AA program. Okay. And we are also expanding to um, have a new outreach program for an intensive case management team to, um, that's being funded through the um, Ministry of Health for people that have moderate to severe um, substance use with or without a mental illness. So we are certainly increasing all of our, um, our services for uh, this population, not just the um, fentanyl users, but anybody that has a substance use. Okay, and is that going to be in the next year or so, do you think, in Paul River? Yes, that's going to be in the next six months. Okay, sounds good. And uh, that was Margaret Anto Antolovich, who is the Program Manager of Public Health, and Nora Koros, who is the Mental Health and Addictions Manager. And I'd like to say thanks very much for them um, to do that interview uh, because we just did it basically an hour before the show started. And um, she said a figure in there, there are 6,000 needles that they give out a monthly basis. Um, I wish I could have brought up whether this was actually in town or the whole VCH, whole Vancouver Coastal Health area. It's not clear. So I, I don't want to, I just want to say that. Okay. Um, coming up, we've got an in-studio guest uh, who'd like to remain anonymous. Um, and before that, though, we'll play quick music so we can get settled here. Yeah. back that was dr robert the by the beatles by the beatles from the revolver <laughs> album 1966 um so we're laughing because i asked who that was <laughs> and <laughs> anyways the beatles and we're still talking about harm reduction we're talking about fentanyl on cjmp news this week um and now we've got it live in studio guest um who's going to tell us about his experience dealing with uh drug addiction and going through harm reduction and how it's maybe improved at life um so thank you sure. for being here. Um, can you tell us about your experience uh, just going through harm reduction? Yes, I could tell you about my experience of harm reduction. Uh, I had a, pr a pretty bad cocaine addiction when I was living in Vancouver, which uh, probably went on for about seven years. And I was living in the cheap hotels in downtown Vancouver, and a lot of people 
you know, were using in those hotels. So it's kind of hard to not become a cocaine or heroin addict when the people you're hanging out with are doing it. And uh, drinking definitely is the gateway drug there because you just have to be drinking beer with people or whatever, alcohol, and then it's easy to want to just go out to the heroin or cocaine. And at one point, uh, you know, my my addiction became so bad that even if I wanted to stop, I, I really couldn't. And uh, I realized I had to do something. And I, I noticed I was walking in Gastown one day, and I noticed there was a sign on, I think they had a... a a mental health office down there, and they say mentioned the harm reduction program that they had, and I I was like you know at a wit's end. I was I was in a state of hopelessness where I just didn't know what what else to do. So uh, this harm reduction program was very good because uh, you know it it brought back a dignity to to the person, and and you're not treated as a bad person, but a person with an addiction. And I th- the program, I believe, went for about a month. And you got food, you had uh, textbooks to study, uh, you know, how to use properly or information about the drugs, how they affect you. And it was a very, very good program. They even gave you money every day that you were there so that if you wanted to get a hit, you could. But in the, in the long run... Uh, it it sort of leads people into the direction of recovery because it, when the program is over, you can kind of decide whether to continue using is what you want to do or whether you want to work on your recovery and and it's just the be you know just the beginning really because recovery could be a very long process. It took me thirteen years to get a one year clean from the cocaine addiction and. I would say in Powell River there are things that can be done to uh, improve uh, the harm reduction. I, I know I was listening to this uh, you know, interview earlier. They're saying harm reduction is, you know, we care about people. Well, it has to be more than just that. There has to be action mm-hmm. taken. I know in Nanaimo, if you want to clean rigs, you just... You, you, you had a number you could pull. They would deliver it to you. They would deliver it to your to your place. And uh, in Vancouver, they have vans that go around mm-hmm. and park in certain areas of, of the city. And if you needed clean rigs, they were there. And I think that that's what they need to do in Powell River, too, because, you know, it seems a little bit harder to get these clean rigs. There's only one place you can get them here in Powell River, and at certain hours... It, it sounds like they're giving out quite a um, a lot of them, and uh, they're fairly easy yeah. to access. But I'm, can I ask? Can I keep on the track of your experience? Um, I'm just wondering, how long have you been in recovery? How, lo- how long ago did you? You said it took 13 years oh, to go through the program. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess what was it about 1996? I guess 1996 and. But you know, I was doing the recovery, uh, going to meetings, and and uh, you know, it, the recovery it, it improved. I would get uh, a year clean, and I would get eighteen months clean, and then I would always kind of relapse. I became sort of more of a, a recreational user, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And so, how and uh, you know, that's. Uh, it's kind of still dangerous because, you know, you're still playing with that addiction. And uh, fi- finally, I ended up moving back to Vancouver. Uh, I was living in a house in the East End where people were using and drinking. It was not the, very, it was not the environment for staying clean, put it that way. And I was, had to take the bus downtown. I always went past Main Hastings Street. Eventually, I got off the bus and picked some up. And then I was back into it, back into it. And I was... You know, it was so bad uh, because a lot, uh, a lot of the what you buy on the streets these days has gotten worse. You know, you don't get what you're looking for. You know, it's mm-hmm. to get to good cocaine. Well, maybe once in a while you would, but a lot of times you, d- you know, 
I, I, I didn't really know what, what, it, what it was. You know, I was, they would sell me stuff. It was not good. It was, you know, it could have had anything in it. You well, know, that's a lot, what we've been time, hearing today. A lot of times people will, will sell you uh, plaster you know, to tell you it's cocaine or something, wow. you know, and, uh, or salt or whatever. Anything that looked like cocaine. And now they're doing the, uh, the fentanyl. Fentanyl is sort of a similar idea. Uh, you know, it's a little bit better deal than, than getting salt, I guess. But uh, would you agree that uh, would you agree that it's you know the uh, provincial health services uh, and governments in general have been pretty slow to uh, uptake harm reduction programs? I, I just go back to I remember a long, long time ago that uh, in Britain uh, heroin was available on prescription, which meant yeah. people on the street or could actually lead a, a reasonable, safe life yeah, because they weren't yeah, rely yeah. on contaminated drugs. Well, well <clears throat> like, I, like I say, I did the harm reduction program. I, I have a certificate, and I don't know if they're still doing that or not. I have, you know, yeah. I, have, I have not heard. It sounds, they are, and they're expanding their services, and that's yeah. why I wanted to talk to the medical health people in this uh, province uh, that regulate our area which is vancouver coastal health yeah. um because they are it sounds like they are responding to it obviously it's yeah. it, you know they but can't control it as the users yeah but there is a way to try to yeah. get more prevention and yeah. it sounds like well it doesn't sound like they're doing the same kind of program that i did in vancouver here in powell river i, I don't hear of anybody doing it okay well you know, um, it may think, uh, I maybe think the funding has been cut you know, the government is always cutting funds for stuff that's really important, like education and doctors and, and the medicine, you know, the, the health services. They're cutting the funding. They're not increasing it. So, therefore, I really wonder if they are doing the harm reduction program that I did years ago. You well, know, like when, when Rob came in yesterday to years uh, ago. talk, he said, he mentioned that there, 44% of the um, provinces... I'm not sure if you call that GDP or is is around healthcare. So that's a huge number. Uh, maybe resources need to be allocated a bit differently, but I think there are resources out there. Um, what about the impact of homelessness on uh, increasing drug users? Sure, I that? think I think that that's partly what contributes to it. You know, people have lost hope. <laughs> you know, they're, the only pleasure they get is from the drug. You know, and when and when it the the price of uh, hotels staying at a you know renting a, a room in a hotel for a month went up, and re, you know renting apartments this all happened like after Expo '86 mm. in Vancouver, rents went up. People were forced to live in how uh, cheap hotels, and and these were not good places for 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 you know relocating people because. There is a generations of drug users living in those hotels in downtown Vancouver. They've been there for hundred years, maybe. You know, it's a very deeply entrenched culture. It's mm -hmm. a culture, not a drug addiction problem. Mm -hmm. And once you're there, very hard to get out of it. Very. I'm lucky. I'm one of the lucky people. I'm the one in a million people that kicked it, and so far, so good. Well, you know, I'm glad you that you're know, here. It's been almost six years. To tell so. your story. Yeah. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you. I hope this helps somebody. I hope it does too. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left. Um, we are going to give you a bit of roundup of arts news for the week um, before Rabbit Eye gets in here. So stay tuned. This is your Friday Live lineup. Um, been here with Peter Harvey, Roger Thorne, and uh, thanks to everyone who contributed to the show. So, um, Yeah, I think that was the Have first a good week, Paul River. Yep. <laughs> we'll just end like that. Okay. Well, we're getting fine. there. <laughs> We've got uh, actually lots of the shows lined up, and if you have a show, an idea for a show or segment, uh, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can email us at news at cjmp.ca or call 604-485-0088. If you want to uh, 
leave a voicemail you're welcome to it and we've got some great shows coming up in the next couple of weeks find out what's happening on goat island we talked to uh, Powell River Economic Development Officer Scott Randolph and check in on the economic side of Powell River and also Klaman's Nation's Land Management. Management. Yeah, we'll see if we can get those people in here. <laughs> All right, here's the arts news. I think we got it. Welcome back to Coastal Color. I am Rabbit Eye for CJMP News. Find out more about CJMP and go to cjmp.ca. Be a volunteer, get your own show, help on other people's shows, or on many tasks that we have. This is local arts news for Powell River for this week and a little bit beyond. The January 13th edition, 2017. The film Rogue One is playing at the Patricia Theatre January 13th, 2.26, 7pm nightly in 3D and 1.30pm weekend matinee as well in 2D. The Mount Spina Art Society had a show going on until February 1st. It's called Fiber Speak Textile Art with Nina Muslim and and Gay Denier, and this is of course free. This is happening at Vancouver Island University Power River Campus during open hours. Far Off Broadway presents live theater Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. That opened on Thursday, January 12th, going on until Saturday, January 14th. 7.30 p.m. and matinee shows on Saturday at 2 p.m. $15 for adults, $12 for seniors and students. And at the Evergreen Theater is where it happens at the Recreation Complex. It's 14 and over only. It's written by Christopher Durang and directed by Kylo Clare with a cast including CJMP's own Mel Edgar. Across Club has a jam every Friday night. You can play with the house band or by yourself or with anyone you want. Get on stage and play a tune and you get a free drink. J-A-M or Jam is a band that plays all types of styles in a way that truly jams like jazz musicians do with any music. Things happen spontaneously within some structure. This happens at the Red Lion Pub on Friday, January 13th at 8pm. There's live jazz with Take 5 Quintet, Young Local Talent at its finest, bass, drums, keyboard and horns. Saturday, January 14th, 7.30pm to 9.30pm at that Sugar Vault Unit 105. Suggested donation is 5 to 10 dollars. Live drawing sessions happen every Tuesday from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Power River Academy of Music. It's ten dollars. Drop in and if you'd like to be a model, they pay forty dollars for two hours. Email royart at telus.net. There's live music at TC's open mic and stage every Wednesday from 8 to 11 p.m. Weekly chorus every Wednesday 7.30 p.m. at James Hall at the Power River Academy of Music, 7280 Commando Street. For more information, Janice Gunn, 604-485-3825. There's an art opening of Chris Brown's work, Hallucigenia, and it opens on Friday, January 20th at 7 p.m. at that Sugar Vault. It is free to attend. Complimentary nibbles provided and drinks. Chris will be joining in person. There's a non-official CJMP show called The Chat with Triple Dub and Shellfish Frenchman on Friday, January 20th from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Redline Pub, 5987 Lund Street. It's a night of bass, funk, reggae, dancehall, and cumbia brought to you by CJMP's own The Chad and bringer of the funk, Latin, Afrobeat, and cumbia, and as well, CJMP's Triple Dub, a selector of all reggae. There's a call for artists for the Expose Yourself erotically themed multidisciplinary art exhibition. The deadline for visual art and digital gallery submission is Saturday, January 21st at 11.59pm and you can email eyexhibition at gmail.com. You can also check out the website eyexhibition.com. The next Expose Yourself exhibition itself is March 17th to 19th. CJMP will be there and we're looking for volunteers to help us with the CJMP table there. We'll also have potentially a photo booth. If you'd like to help out, email events at cjmp.ca. You can also call 604-485-0088. Leave your information there on the answering machine and say you'd like to help add Expose Yourself. The Met Opera's Gounod's Romeo et Juliette new production is happening on Saturday, January 21st from 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. at the Max Cameron Theatre at Brooks High School. You can buy tickets online at maxcameratheatre.ca, also at the Academy of Music box office, at the Peak offices, or at the Red Line Pub in Wildwood, or the Old Courthouse Inn, or at the Max itself right before the show. The tickets are $27 for adults, seniors and students $24. Joel Fafard Live is performing on Saturday, January 21st from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m at that sugar vault the burying ground and jack garton on sunday january 22nd 7 30 p.m to 10 p.m doors open at 7 30 p.m the show starts at 8 and this is at the cranberry community hall advanced tickets can be purchased at river city coffee 12 dollars or 15 dollars at the door till death the, the six wives of henry the eighth written and directed by ryan gladstone starring tara travis in a one woman show six queens six love stories six deaths one actress all tickets are 10 dollars this happens at the brooks high school max cameron theater and they have festival buy your tickets online maxcameratheater.ca or at the Academy Music Box Office, or at Peak, or at 32 Lakes and Townsite, or at the Redline Pub, or at the Max itself. Right before the show, there's a Tom Waits night with some live performances on Friday, January 27th, 8 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. at that Sugar Vault. They have a big screen going on, and they'll have everything Tom Waits that evening. There's also live music on Saturday, January 28th, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. at the Redline Pub, Woodhead, Body Language, Sylphs, and Homebreakin. There's live music with Modern Terror, Little Farmer, Punk Jams, and Dropsticks on Saturday, January 28th at 7.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. 
at Villa Soccer Club at Timberlane Parks. Ten dollars at the door and cash bar. All ages are welcome. There's a film screening for the film Eating You Alive on Thursday, February second, seven p.m. Doors open at six thirty p.m. at the Max Cameron Theater. It's ten dollars. Daniel Chow and Academy Chamber Choir perform on Tuesday, February fourteenth, seven thirty p.m. Power Film Festival is on Wednesday, February fifteenth to Sunday, February nineteenth. More information: prfilmfestival.ca. This happens at the Patricia Theater. And that is it for this week. I am Rabbit Eye for CJP News. We'll see you next week. Thank you.